Thank you ahead of time for tuning in and watching the podcast. We talked about many different things, insurance, uh, the paradigm of food deserts, uh, where we came from in our upbringing and how it relates to the diseases of today and how we deliver our message and our help to the patients and the masses out there. So I think you're gonna love this one. Just for warning, there is a Baxter is in the background barking every once in a while. He's a new puppy. He was trying to give us advice as well. So hang in there. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll put the link down below and I'll put Deepa's link. Ultimately, you need a team of healers, doctors, providers, coaches to get you past the diseases. And if you add Deepa to your team, it'll increase your chances for success and it'll get you there faster. So enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Today's podcast will be pretty decent. I'm Dr. Rick, and today's interview is with Deepa Deshmukh. She's the owner of DuPage Dietitians. Morning. This is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice, so please take this information and either join us uh, individually or take it to your doctor and ask them how it might serve you. Okay, Deepa, well, thank you for coming in today. Thank you, Dr. Rick. It's been, it's been long overdue, and uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And yes, I'm a registered dietitian. Uh, and just just to clarify that all dietitians are nutritionists, but not all the nutritionists are dietitians. In my case, I'm a certified diabetes educator, board certified in advanced diabetes management. I, I met you first when you came in. And, you know, typically all I remember from that was I was embarrassed because I was running behind as usual. And uh, one of the nurses or medical assistants came out and said the patient has to leave. And I apologize oh about God, that, no. as you know. I have uh, essentially a 180 degree about face, so I'm finding my way, but I'm glad that I know you because I think you do great things for patients that is outside the box. And really, that's what happened to me. Uh, I've been in practice since 2006, and what I noticed eight, six to eight months into practicing as a registered dietitian. So let's say they were coming in for diabetes and uh, high cholesterol and, and weight problem. One or two days, it just so happened that I asked these people, like 10 patients that I saw, I asked them this one question, how is your energy level? Okay. And they all said, oh, it's horrible. My energy is very bad. That question would lead me into question about sleep, question about, you know, little more, more lifestyle related questions that we were not taught to ask while going through the education. I started noticing person behind the patient, their hair. I started noticing the way their hands looked. And all those things reminded me of the nutritional deficiencies that were taught to me back in India. <laughs> India is a developing country. We have nutritional deficiencies. Okay, you talk about scurvy and 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 beriberi and you know those were that was the nutrition education that I have gotten because that's the population that I studied in. I even remember one of my teachers saying, "I don't know if you girls will ever see a di a type two diabetic patient." Because those cases just didn't exist 
like the similarities between the nutritional deficiencies of this malnourished person and then not obviously malnourished looking patient here. I said, oh my God, it's, it's malnutrition. And that changed the way I practice nutrition. I basically started focusing on, you will like this, I realized that people were eating, but they were not nourishing themselves. I tell you, that, that, is, that almost mirrors what I've gone through. But I was in the Philippines, yeah. and the Philippines is also a developing country. There, there's developing, and there's developed. The United States is a developed country. We have a lot of resources, but as Deepa suggested, mm -hmm. we're approximating the same diseases, but with the bigger girth of the belly. I was taught this a long time ago that in the Philippines, people are dying of starvation. In the United States, they're dying from overeating. <laughs> but I, I think, so there is a lot to unpack. Um, I like the fact that you have forged a way sticking to your guns, especially with regard to the gut microbiome. Yeah. Uh, but that ha all this stuff has to take a toll on you as far as uh, continuing medical education or dietary education yeah. and, and taking you away from the practice or your family. You told me before that it's taken you 12 years to get into Blue Cross Blue Shield. Correct. I mean, I thought that, oh, uh, the first thing I should do when I started the practice is to contact insurance companies. And, and ask them that, hey, we offer MNT, medical nutrition therapy, we have qualified dietitians, you know, they, they should start reimbursing or contracting with dietitians. Um, pretty much every insurance company in Illinois said no. And I, that was a first, uh, you can say, uh, a wake up call. And I, I realized what I had gotten myself into. And I would sit there and keep calling, keep calling. And then Aetna was the first insurance company medical director, she got it. She understood what I was saying. She said, of course. She said, we have a policy to cover for nutrition counseling, but we don't have any dietitians. So at least she was wise enough to listen to me. And that happened. But then it took me almost 12 years to get in, in, in network with Blue Cross Blue Shield. Now, during this time, my goal was to improve access to to dietitian services, you know, and I thought it needs to be affordable. Insurance companies should pay for it. Uh, I work at a public health clinic where I helped uh, with a grant to have a commercial kitchen deliver a nutrition education program through cooking and lifestyle and culinary medicine in an underserved area. So I was, I was doing that. That got me into uh, the public health side of my degree. I also have master's in public health. Yeah. It gave me a lot of insight, a lot of experience to, to see how the state of our public health, especially in underserved areas. So that happened. And in private practice, I would be seeing, uh, you know, patients with diabetes, heart disease, both settings, right? You are dealing with human beings. And same problems, diabetes, cholesterol, diabetes, cholesterol, same disease, just a different demographic. And I realized that at the end of the day, we are all humans. I need to package my message, my intervention, you can say, or my medical nutrition therapy in such a way that it is very, very practical. It's very hands-on 
and and it, to some extent very individualized under the circumstances. I tell people it's a process. It takes time. The fact that you personalize yes. care is different. I think that those handouts you talked about earlier are fast way to get, at least as far as the doctor experience, a fast way to get people out of the office yeah. and onto the next patient. I, I hate to say it, but that's just the, with the reimbursement, or at least what we're told as doctors, 15 minutes and then you're out. Or thus you run behind and get bad patient satisfaction scores. And to allude to your uh, going through the hurdle of getting a contract with Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, I, I am hitting that uh, pinnacle now because I just am knocking on doors of hospitals and insurance companies and for the last two to three months since my departure from the hospital, uh, at one point, I, it's a database that you have to submit to the folks and uh, you just keep your fingers crossed. At one point, I called back about a month later to check on all my leads and they all said that we don't have your application. Mm. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. But uh, you and I both know that we, we're here to serve the masses. Good. I think really? the cool thing about COVID is that it's opened up connections. Internet has made access to us easy. Anybody who has a question on nutrition or lifestyle or yoga can find you on Facebook. They can send you a direct message. That was not even possible a few years ago. You know, I did a lot of cooking classes, Whole Foods and other grocery stores and all that stuff. I used to haul things to these grocery stores and, you know, call patients to come there. Lot of work, lot of work. Now, I stand in my kitchen on Sunday evening and I show them something new. I just did how to roast Brussels sprouts. I have been taping pretty much every, every dish that I make every day to, for myself. I just have a camera on, light on, and I'm just taping that. That, and, and now people will have access to that through YouTube or Facebook. I personally feel that if somebody is ready and, and ready to recognize that they need help and they need support, then there's no excuse left to find practitioners like you, me, and there are many of us out there. A lot of practitioners are, are changing the gears now and, and joining what you and I, I do. You're right. Since COVID, at least for doctors, we have been able to bill the insurance company for internet consults. Yes. Yes. It's still a little tough, and I don't know how long that will last. I'm assuming the reimbursement, which is a little bit on the truncated side sure. compared to an actual face-to-face -face visit. Mm -hmm. I think that during the pandemic, until it's declared over, it, the governments and most insurance companies will reimburse. Uh, I'm not sure about how they reimburse you, but the doctors, it's like one third of the usual visit. Yeah. But that brings me to that point that yeah. you have made it to the point where you got into the insurance companies. I'm still trying to break down the doors. So uh, with the reimbursement, continuing during the pandemic, I think it's a good thing. I hope it gets adopted later on after the pandemic, perhaps in summer of 2021, but I appreciate you doing what you do. I'm still finding my way as far as telehealth. Do you think that uh, even after the pandemic, even after the pandemic, the telehealth continuum will uh, serve us both? I think for lifestyle medicine, the right platform is telehealth. I wish for dietitians and practitioners like you, we had that option 10 years ago. Because now what I'm noticing is 
I am in patient's house, for example, I, last week I had a follow-up with a patient. It was 6.30 and she said, oh my God, Deepa, I haven't cooked anything. I don't know what to eat. I said, open your refrigerator, open your freezer and show me what you have. And we, I walked her through the stir-fry recipe while we were talking about her other other uh, strategies for behavior change. I said, okay, get that frozen vegetable which has been in your freezer for last God knows how many months and throw it in the oven. By the time we are done with the session, your roasted vegetables are done. This is a recipe for sauce. I saw that you have soy sauce in your uh, cupboard, in your pantry. You have ginger, you have onion, you have this sad looking celery. Throw it in the water, bring it to life and stir fry recipe. This would have never happened if I was seeing her in the office. Chances are she would have come to my office tired. Even though in our office we keep snacks for the patients because I know they come tired and they are hungry. There was no way she would have gone home and cooked anything. Uh, the telehealth and the, the lifestyle, culinary medicine, nutrition, whatever you want to name it, needs to be done where the problem is, which is patients work environment and home environment. This is where I, I believe that the your master's in public health, uh, my understanding of behavioral health, and also moving away from the shame that uh, some doctors give. Unfortunately, in the truncated, I, I can't speak for the dietitian, mm -hmm. but in the truncated doctor visit, if you can't break through and change or inspire with, uh, there's a great, feeling with losing weight, there's a great feeling with uh, lowering cholesterol, there's a great feeling with low salt diet, <clears throat> then what the visit is converted to is uh, threat. And threat sometimes works. You're going towards a heart attack, you're going towards insulin injections, uh, <laughs> but it's very, it, it fades quickly. So the inspiration, especially for the patient once they leave the doctor's office, which is every three months or every year, is gone because they go back into their house and their work. Exactly. We give them the diagnosis and we tell them, the worst case scenario and then fly on your own, right? right? And that's where the dietitians come into play because we are dealing with their lifestyle issues, you know? And uh, we give meal plans which come up, which are printed with grocery list. And we have meal plan for uh, weekend detox and we have meal plans for busy work-life week and we have meal plans for those who are transitioning to plant-based and those who are on FODMAP diet and those who are on transitioning to keto or whatever, whatever diet you are on, we, my personal um, uh, recommendation is to go more plant-based because there's really no downsides to it. You know, it doesn't matter what main diet you are on, but going more plant-based is a way to go because of that microbiome that I talked about. So we give patients a lot of these tools, resources. They chat with us through our system. So if somebody, for example, during Thanksgiving weekend, three, four uh, SOS messages, oh, I, I fell off the wagon during Thanksgiving, what do I do? Traditionally, that patient, if I had seen her after two months, one month, lost case. Chances are she would have continued, she or he would have continued that behavior through entire Christmas 
go through entire holiday season and then I see her in February and uh, so on and so forth. But I told her, listen, and I told everybody that falling off the wagon is part of the process. It's good that you fell off the wagon because now we know that you are, that you, this is your tendency. This is a roadblock. And now next time we, we come up with a coping mechanism. We come up with how to get back on the wagon immediately. And these women, they did a very simple, just salad and uh, smoothie and light, very light um, food for three days. You can say a detox or just a mindful eating, you know. And uh, they all lost anywhere between five to eight pounds. During Thanksgiving? During, right after Thanksgiving. I have so many patients who have lost anywhere between 15 and 50 pounds during COVID. That's a bit unusual. And I yes. think that uh, people want to hear about that. It sounds like that when there is, number one, the roadblock identified and embraced, yeah. and the threat is not there, again, that shaming at the doctor's mm -hmm. office uh, is not a good thing. I, I think it can be used as a tool, but we should be empowered as doctors to have more tools. And that's the limitation with our training not mine, I, I went like you into more training, longitudinal I call it, but I honestly really thank you. During my time in the last five years when I was trying to practice uh, lifestyle medicine and integrative medicine, but still trying to honor the truncated amount of time that the hospital told me, I would sometimes just punt it to you yes. and hope that you would take care of the patient and unfortunately that meant taking time out of your uh, lifestyle, uh, but I really appreciate that. Having a doctor who acknowledges that nutrition is important for you and just don't try to do it on your own and seek help and, and kind of takes interest in that intervention is, is very refreshing. And that's why I think I'm, uh, I believe I met you through my, my uh, one of my patient who, who went plant-based and he said Deepa you should you should talk to Dr. Rick and that started the conversation because I'm so used to having traditional medical doctors not acknowledging us you know people have called me stop practicing voodoo interventions and stuff like that and it's sometimes I mean you know I felt that is there anybody who is listening to me outside of this room but I know my patients are, and I have been in practice because of my patients, really, because it's extremely gratifying, you know, and it's not some miracle or anything, magic pill I have. I don't have boxes of protein powder or some shakes or, or, or mixes and things like that. It's really everyday food. I'm just telling people to move from or start distinguishing between eating and nourishing, okay? And I give them tools to nourish themselves. I tell them, your diabetes, your heart disease, your weight is a symptom. It's not a disease in itself. They are going to improve. But you have to focus on the other symptoms that are improving, such as, do you have more energy? Uh, do you have less pain? Do you feel little motivated? Do 
you uh, are you able to stand for, for five minutes versus one minute I said we are going to focus on these small changes once you I said the moment you say that you have energy I I'm going to put you on that treadmill but I can't expect you to do 30 minutes of the exercise every single day without really addressing the underlying issue, which is you, who doesn't want to exercise? Everybody does. But we, if, if your symptom is low energy, <laughs> I need to fix that first. So, so when all these things improve, then the weight comes off and of course diabetes gets under control and all that stuff. I think that when you put it that way and you present it as a very, number one, it's easy to understand. You're not a diagnosis. These are feelings. These are temptations. There could be other things involved. How is the sleep? Just the fact that you were able to take a camera and go through somebody's kitchen and guide them, that deployment of a tactic for a patient will really conquer a lot of hurdles. I think time is, is, is invaluable, but time. we also have to be efficient. Otherwise, we'll be moved away from, we'll provide great product and great strategies and successes, which is very rewarding, but we'll also take time away from our families and our own healthy practices. So there is a balance. And again, when we consider it, mind-body medicine, nutrition, activity, exercise, and good sleep and love again, I think that when you say that no matter who the patient is, that they're a human, that it's okay to fail, but it's not okay to ignore. And I think most importantly for my approach is to give somebody hope. Correct. And sometimes the hope is linked to education. Correct. And that's where I think this, I don't know where COVID will take us, but it's opened up a door that I think we'll be able to serve. Not only that is that holistic approach and seeing a patient as a, a whole patient, not just the diagnosis and ICD-9 code, yeah. which is unfortunately what I think we're being pigeonholed into doing. Again, it's efficiency. And efficiency always has to entail uh, that we as doctors and probably dietitians are part of the big machine. And if you're a cog, you must, to make the whole machine continue on, you must do what cogs do. But that also takes individuality out of the provider, the healer, and the patient. Lifestyle medicine, we need to be able to scale at higher level. Only then we are going to make that shift. The needle is going to move. And uh, so, like you said, hope is important. You and I have to be hopeful. And we have to keep, you know, sometimes it feels like hamster on a bicycle, <laughs> really. But trust me, there are quite a few of us in this space trying to, trying to change the way we practice. The consumer is changing. The consumer is becoming aware. You know, so whether the food companies or healthcare system, whether they like it or not, they will have to change the way they do it because consumer is going to demand. And that gives me even more hope. Look at how far we have come with organic and gluten-free and non-GMO. Because consumers said, hey, we want that. When, when people say we want lifestyle nutrition, when people say, uh, I want to try nutrition before I try the medication, that's where it's going and that's where they are going to meet us. 
and when you give them the variety on their meal plan and when you give them tools that go to the produce section and look around how many vegetables are available. Plant-based is not only about carrots, it's about all those things, you know. And we, we are not saying that we'll replace the meat, uh, the meat and uh, eggs and all completely. We are saying go more plant-based. If you are eating no vegetables, eat half a cup. If you are eating half a cup, add another one-fourth cup. If you are doing two cups, add another half a cup. That's all. You know, so, um, and then common sense, right? We know that our microbiome needs fiber and fiber comes from plant. You know, I really want to talk about the gut microbiome because it's something I really believe in. I think it's really screwed up with all oh. the antibiotics that myself yeah. and my colleagues are giving, especially with COVID. Yes. But uh, perhaps we'll continue this uh, on we a, another time. We should have part two. Yes. Focusing on microbiome. That is, is, that's a podcast in itself, and I think it's very reinforcing to our patients to give success. Yes. So I appreciate you coming in today, Deepa. We'll continue part two, and until then, can you tell the folks how they can reach you? So uh, they can find us by uh, going on the web and looking for dupagedietitians.com, and you can send us a text or uh, send us an email or call us and somebody from my office will get back to you and just let us know that you are a fan of Dr. Rick and uh, uh, that's all. That's Thank you, Deepa. So I'll put Deepa's uh, contact information on the link down below. Otherwise, don't forget to subscribe for the next podcast and stay healthy.